It's all about trust. And I think more than ever, trust is our cornerstone in our business. And when you can show up in a way that makes people feel secure, it's our purpose. You're listening to Manage This, the podcast by project managers for project managers. I'm Wendy Grounds, and with me is Bill Yates. This is the show where we sometimes like to delve into the project stories of project managers who are in the trenches. In today's episode, we get to sit down with June Mastari. Why don't you tell us how you met June, Bill? Yeah, it was such a chance meeting. June and I were sitting at the same round table at a breakout session. I think Steve Townsend was speaking at PMI Global Conference 2019 in Philadelphia. So I don't know, there were just a handful of us sitting at a round table in June had really good questions for Steven. And some of the things that June shared, I'm like, this is my kind of person. So we talked during the session and just stayed connected after. Well, June, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm very happy to be here. I want to find out a little bit about your career background. How did you get into project management? Yeah, when people ask me this, I like to say, I didn't get into project management. It got into me. Um, (laughs) I really started my career just taking things on that took shape as projects. You know, the beginning, middle, end with an end goal, an outcome that was very clear. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was managing projects. (laughs) So then when I actually started to see that there were other people in my network who were formal project managers, I was like, oh, this is a thing. And I really like this thing. So I decided to get a little educated in it, and I said I was going to take the PMP exam 10 years before I actually took it. So (laughs) people say, I'm going to take the PMP exam, and I said that for so long, but you don't actually take it until you schedule it. Like, Uh... that's when it's real. So I did eventually get the PMP, and I appreciated the discipline of that. I'm a rule follower, so that, that was a dream for me, and I passed on my 37th birthday. So it was like, I got into my car and I was like, yes, (laughs) that's a little side note about me being a PM and getting started with that. So it just kind of took off from there. Once I had that credential, I felt confidence. I don't think it's about the credential. I just think it's about the confidence. I took formal project management roles right after that, where it was like my title was project manager. And June, you've been in telecom for a long time, right? Like I've done a lot of work with Verizon and you were actually employed by Verizon for a long time and you continue to kind of go down that industry path. Yeah, my MO is parachuting into situations, trying to solve problems and then getting out, right? So I had like four different roles at Verizon. When I started, I was a temp and it just progressed from there. So yeah, I've spent most of my life in telecom. I did a quick stint in the financial risk industry And I learned a lot. Like I felt like I got 10 years of experience from the leadership there and the projects I worked there. So other than that, it's all been telecom. Yeah. And tell us about your current position. You work with True North now. And if I remember right, this is your second time with this company. Yeah, that's actually where I started more formal project management back in 2013. And I stayed there for a few years, really loved it. I left to do my own thing in the bigger project management world, larger enterprises. So right now, what I do at True North Consulting, we are veterans in telecom. So we understand all the lingo and how bills look, how records look and all of that. So 
We deliver visibility to millions of dollars in telecom spend in one pane of glass. So we give you know CFOs confidence and control of the money that they're spending in their telecom. We also help onboard people to our enterprise platform so that they can manage their digital transformation from old copper telecom to fiber or other VoIP, that kind of thing. I am their director of operations. Just give everybody a sense for what's a typical customer engagement like for True North. So you guys are going in and and approaching a business and saying, hey, let us make sure that you're getting the best deal that you can with your telecom solution. Let us take a look at the service and the bill and, and make recommendations. Is that kind of what you guys do? Yeah. Typically, they actually approach us okay. because they are so frustrated that they're seeking to solve their problem, which is a headache around that very problematic industry. So when we are going to take on a new client, we first evaluate their spend. How much are you actually spending in telecom? So we get a good view of that. And typically, our clients are $10 million plus in annual spend. And then we ask them for all of their information, accounts, copies of invoices, anything like that. And then our engagement really starts when we start putting that stuff in our tool, our solution, where you get a full visibility to your inventory and spend. So the project there is onboarding. And then the end goal is ongoing telecom expense management after that, which is a monthly review of all of your services so you can control your costs. June, one of the themes that we're having with our podcast at the moment is we're asking our guests what their COVID-19 story is. How has this impacted your work? What have you been seeing? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I feel like this is a really good way to get different perspectives by asking these questions. I ask these questions to people in my network. For us, personally, True North is remote anyway. We're distributed all over the country. So we're constantly meeting on Zoom. We live on the phone. So we had really no adjustment internally other than how it affected us on a personal level, each of us responding to this crisis new normal. So that was the adjustment we had to go through, which was little in comparison to those who had to do both, maneuver going remote in their professional life and dealing with it personally. What about your customers, June? What have you seen with some of the adjustments that they've had to make? Navigating change is never easy in any organization or enterprise. So if you're forced into it, that's usually where you get the best results because you have to actually take action, right? So for them, I think because it is mostly multi-location businesses that have either gone through mergers and acquisitions, which is already problematic in itself, there are many locations. So being able to get skeleton crews in those locations for broadcasting, for example, you still need to be on the air. Getting skeleton crews in the studio, going virtual as much as you can, all of that brought light, I think, to our clients that they need better bandwidth and disaster recovery plans if they didn't have them. It put things into perspective, I think, for them more than anything else. And for us, our reaction to that was, hey, get on a meeting with us. We're going to bring humanity and humor 
to this situation and make you feel like things are normal, at least for that hour. Nice. Because we were normal. So it was actually really cool to be in that position at that time. Yeah. Telecom and ISP and connections are vital to business. And to have someone who can approach it from a baseline of great experience, broad understanding of telecom, and also that humanity, you know, that humor. And okay, I know life has been turned upside down for you guys at work. So let us help you figure out this piece. That's a trusted partner. It's all about trust. And I think more than ever, trust is our cornerstone in our business. And when you can show up in a way that makes people feel secure, it's our purpose. Mm, It's great. Nice. So give us some practicals on that. What are some of the things that you're doing like on a daily or a weekly basis with your either team members or with your customers to help engage just their sense for where they're at emotionally? Yeah, it's just as simple as asking sincerely and with real concern, how are you doing? And letting them talk about it and listen. That's really all that's required is listening. And, you know, we do a lot. We are already, because we're remote, doing silly things all the time as a team. Like Emily will send out bark boxes to teams because most of us have dogs. Describe what that is. Oh, a bark box is a package that comes in the mail every month with treats and toys and cool stuff for your dogs. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's a, like this is a brilliant business. You know, I'm not plugging for them, but I love it. So, and you can do cats too. Uh, Yeah. So surprises, pleasant surprises are really nice. Like I have a box right behind me right now. It's a big Amazon box. I don't know what's in it because we're not having a summit this year in person. We sent people all kinds of stuff in the mail and then we're going to do box opening on Zoom. Nice. So it's all a matter of just keeping things light and fun and again, listening and responding to how people are feeling. Yeah. When we were talking earlier, you even described something that, again, you may need to define it for us. You talked about a crib tour. Ah, yes. <laughs> We're talking we talking baby cribs? We had a cribs? happy hour <laughs> where it was so funny, a virtual happy hour where people kind of just picked up their machines or if they were on their iPads or whatever and walked around their house and just kind of showed them around like, this is where my office is. You know, this is where my crazy craft room is or whatever it is. We got to see a little bit of your house. That's so cool. Um, That was a surprise, too. So I can only imagine how some people must have felt. You know, (laughs) it's not, let's see your refrigerator. That would be an even different story. (laughs) But it's pretty fun to do those kind of pop-up things. I like that. What are some of the tools that you guys are using for collaboration? We have traditionally used Asana as a collaboration tool. And Asana is... It's a very feature-rich online tool that is essentially task management. It does have some project management schedule features, and you can create custom fields for things where you want to manage budget or billable hours or whatever that is. I don't think it's created for formal project management, but it does work and it is collaborative. It works in a thread style communication, so you can at people and you can get notifications in your email if you need them. It's a pretty cool tool. Also, in our tool, in our solution, we have a project management piece that has action items and different things where we can collaborate there for customer-facing. 
Gotcha. So that's a homegrown piece that you got there. It is. Yeah. It is. And it's really nice. It's a feature of our solution where the client can get institutional knowledge or tribal knowledge in something where somebody might have left the company after 25 years. They can see a little history of what went on with that thing. Nice. Yeah. Are you guys using Zoom or Microsoft Teams or what do you use yes. for video? We do use Teams. We abuse Teams. It's awesome. Uh, we're starting to use channels. It's a great tool. We use that and then we do use Zoom with clients and internally. But Zoom is what we're used to and what we like. So we're going to stick with it for right now. When you think about technical aspects of the industry that you're in, for many project managers, they look at it and go, well, I can be a project manager anywhere. I can work for NASA or I can work for Keebler. It really doesn't matter. Making cookies or making rockets doesn't matter. I'm a project manager. And I get that. I mean, yeah, sure, there are steps that make you effective as a project manager. But for me, it's always made a difference if I knew something of the industry, knew something of the technical elements, whether I'm coding or engineering or architectural design, whatever it is. If I have some kind of knowledge or experience with that, it seemed to make my life easier as a project manager. I know your career has been telecom. And as you say, project management kind of picked you. <laughs> yeah. Has it helped you having that experience in telecom? Yeah, I actually never really understood how people could be so versatile between different industries. We've worked with some professional services where they either the large consulting or the smaller consulting, whatever, and they can just go into any industry and solve problems. I never really understood that, but it is possible because if you can find a better way, there's always a better way, right? If you can find a better way and implement that in a way that's disciplined, has a beginning, middle, and end, you're a project manager. However, I will say this, if I am working on a telecom project, I know that I will gain the respect of people who are on that team a lot easier and a lot quicker. Because they'll ask me questions, I'll know the answers that have nothing to do with the scope or schedule or risks or anything like that. So it's, it's important for that to be successful. I think it just happens faster. If you know the business, it is smoother. Let's talk about some of your past projects. Is there one that you consider one of your best? And can you tell us about it? What made it a really successful, memorable project for you? I can speak to one that is actually pretty relevant today in as we go virtual to handle the pandemic. It was replacing a very outdated virtual machine environment, like think desktops. It's VDI, virtual desktop interfaces, where you can use any computer and log into the same desktop and you can use it at any time. And when I was assigned to the project, I was told by the sponsor, this is really no big deal. We already have this desktop environment. We're just upgrading it from an outdated system. So any improvement will be phenomenal. And I was like, great, this is going to be an easy win. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Wrong. That was where I learned that all assumptions are risks and to always trust but verify. So it wasn't upgrading existing technology. It was completely replacing it 100%. I think only one rack in the data center may have been used from the previous environment. So it was definitely a surprise. To make things even more difficult, it was mentioned in passing at the beginning that security would have to approve it. 
And when I say in passing, they said it. And I think that my mistake was not paying attention enough to that to know how to get started early and often in approaching security. So approve it meant 26 things, two of which were showstoppers and no approval for those two things because security rules the world in the financial risk environment. It meant $5 million in wasted investment. So I would mediate meetings between security and IT engineers who were very, they really loved each other. That's what I'm going to say. Uh, <laughs> you know, I put developers in dark rooms to see if they can trick the systems and brought Jimmy Johns and all kinds of stuff into that project. We even had to get a CTO of a very big virtual machine company to find some guy in Ireland to write a PowerShell script to fix one of the things. Like it was wow. that crazy. In the end, the lesson learned was anytime there is new technology, if you're going to spend a bit of money in new technology, there's more risk, exponentially more risk than spending a ton to change existing technology. It's a really important thing, I think, to think of when you're working a technology or enterprise platform project. I've got to say amen to paying attention to security. Yeah. Man, oh man, I can relate to that so well. For years, I worked with a software company and our clients were companies like AT&T or Verizon or Southern Company or Con Ed. So these companies were very concerned about security. And early on, I would, I don't say I'd make fun of it, but I just, I didn't think about how important it was, kind of the power that security had within that organization, that they really could, they could shut something down. And to your point of their 26 requirements that they have, they're not going to say, oh, you got 15 of them. That's close enough. That's a majority. Go ahead, go forth and prosper. No, they're going to shut it down. So yeah, having to pay attention kind of gets back to stakeholder analysis and just knowing how vital those stakeholders are in getting their buy-in is so important. So I can relate to that. Yeah, it's, it's important though. I also realized how vital security is and I respect it now more than ever having gotten into the weeds on it. I'm glad I learned that. And I'm glad I learned that lesson that when you hear the word security, you go early and often to those stakeholders. So tell us more about the project. What were some of the breakthrough moments that you had yeah, so the security issues that were resolved had to be very creative, right? And we had to get a lot of heads together to figure it out. And I'll give you an example. Like one of the things that we had to resolve for is a virtual machine. When it's turned off, it poofs, it's gone. And when you turn it back on, you get a new machine. Well, how is security supposed to see the history of that? How are they supposed to track any malware? How are they supposed to look at anything? forensically. So a breakthrough there is you have to really get the right people involved and ask everyone you possibly can, even if you're annoying, about what they think about something. And you can get new perspectives you might not have if you only limited it to your team. That was really important for us is to just get as many people in the room as possible. Did you have trouble getting the stakeholders to let go of their old technology? So if you came to me and said, hey, Bill, I got great news. Your operating system that's on your laptop today and everything that you connect to for Velociteach, we're going to put it all up in the cloud. You can log in anywhere, man. You can use a Chromebook. I don't care where you are. You can just log in and have access to everything. You think 
you may get a little resistance from me. I may have some stuff on my hard drive that I need to pull you aside and we just have a conversation about. So did you get any resistance? That's a really good question because everybody uses a desktop. Yeah. So every single person in the company is going to be a user that needs to test QA and release. So let me take a step back. We had to migrate all the applications to a new operating system. And that in itself, a new operating system is a project. Yeah, that's right? big. Yeah. Also, the developers, and I don't know the intricacies of it because I'm just the PM, but the developers needed to keep some of the technology persistent. It could not go poof. So not just security, but also developers. My favorite thing about those kind of projects is you have the user who is going to complain about everything and nitpick the common <laughs> sense items. Yeah. And then you're going to have the user who points out the big stuff that's the showstopper. Mm. It's so much to coordinate. And the best thing, again, about this type of user community is how much diversity there is and realizing the magnitude of it. So, yes, resistance did happen. Last I heard, because I was walking out as they were closing up the project, there were only 21 users left white knuckling their old desktops. <laughs> so yeah, there's there's some people who are more vocal than others. Remind us too, I think we talked about this offline, what was the timing of this project as it relates to COVID-19? When they finished this up, it was at the end of 2019 last year, early 2020, where most people were migrated. So this new platform that was beefed up and new and working better than a dying platform came out right before all of this happened. And everybody went remote. So I think it did two things. Stress test, which was pretty much impossible before this. And number two, it helped in a situation where people needed their machine more than ever at home. So good timing. Mm -hmm. June, one of the funny memories I have when I first met you, again, we're sitting at a round table and in the speaker, Stephen Townsend was really opening up the conversation to those who were there. So he was going off of this theme of cook versus chef. And, you know, some project managers are great at following steps, but I really need to have those steps delineated. I need to have very clear steps and then I'll execute them or I'll have my team execute them. Versus a chef who's put in an environment that may be a little less defined and nuanced. So that chef is going to look to maybe bring ingredients off the shelf that others wouldn't anticipate. I cannot remember how Stephen brought this up, but I remember you making the point that, you know, I'm kind of a rule breaker. Sometimes I think <laughs> that, you know, to be successful as a project manager, you got to break the rules. There was a lot of agreement in the room. There are times when you feel like you need to break the rules. So, what advice do you have for us? How do you know when to break a rule and when to not break a rule? As I told you before, I'm actually a rule follower, right? So when I break rules, it's in small doses. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it goes under the radar a lot. And some examples of that are releasing non-critical features into production before anybody really should be releasing features because it's not part of a formal release. Although it's going to help a few people and it's not going to really cause any big problems, there is a risk in that, though, because when you think it's a little feature change, it could be big. So, yeah, breaking the rule there is kind of, uh, you know, it's a toss up. 
And I think the other rule, which is not necessarily a rule, it's kind of a social contract. You have to remain professional and you have to have some boundaries and lines you can't cross with people. And I am not afraid to cross those boundaries and those lines with some people. And I am constantly appealing to the human aspect of my project team. I'm the one who's going to get to know them and know how many kids they have and know what their pets' names are. And there's a personal aspect to that. I don't think that's breaking the rules. I think it's just something that I'm not sure every PM does. The PMs that I worked with as part of a project team, they didn't really know me. And I don't know if they knew people on their team. So like I said, it's more of a social contract thing than it is a rule. Yeah. You're making me think of a situation too, June, which I like it when team members treat everybody equally and there's not this military desired tier or rank or something. If somebody says, hey, look, we're not looking at this with the right perspective, I want them to bring it up, you know, whether it's to the leader or the other team members. Specifically, I love it when somebody challenges a team to look at something from the perspective of the user or of the customer or of the sponsor, something that maybe we've been so busy doing the work and we've already gotten signed off on the scope and the requirements. So we're just banging it out and making these micro decisions. And then somebody says, hey, wait a minute, guys. Sure, the person paying the bills has agreed to this, but what if we did these extra things? Don't you think that'd make life better for the end user? I like it when people kind of challenge the status quo and break the rules that way. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's just being able to see it from their perspective, from frontline, mid-level project team member to the executive even. You have to see it from their perspective. What are they going to have to tell other people? Nobody likes to be blindsided by things because they didn't get it done because nobody took that extra step to find out if they could make it easier for them. There's a lot of things to say about that, but I totally agree. You have to really think about it from their perspective and be part of the team. Jean, do you have some extra encouragement you can get to project managers that are maybe starting out in their career? We have a lot of listeners who are still fairly new to project management, what could you tell them? Yeah, I think the first thing is get a mentor or someone you can count on to give you that wisdom and advice. Whether they know they're a mentor or not, just seek that person out. And be willing to ask those questions and put yourself out there. You know, walk into their office and close the door and be like, you got a minute. Or ask them the coffee, even if they don't know it. It could be formal or not get a mentor and network, trust your gut, take chances. If there's no documentation or a way to do it, invent it and always stick to the basic disciplines. You may not have to do every single little thing that you may have learned in your training, but you have to bring the discipline to a team that is not. Getting started in PM is first of all, realizing that you like PM. And then also be aware of how other people are impacted by your decisions because that will lead you to knowledge. The last thing I'll say is collect your mistakes as assets. Mm. It's a big thing. You can be mortified at every turn, but when you're looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, why did I say that? What happened here? Yeah. You can take that and learn from it once you're over it. It's even good to document them sometimes, yeah. like lessons learned. 
Mm-hmm. It's the same principle. That's so powerful. I grew up playing a lot of sports, and I often, when I think about that, I think about the game tape. What coaches typically do right after a game is they go watch the game tape and they break it down and then they can give specific advice to team members and go, okay, here's, let's watch what happened and then talk me through it. It's so powerful. We do this in other ways in sports in particular. So why not do it professionally so we can be better tomorrow? We can be better in the next project. Yeah. I was told by a very wise person in my last role about a concept of radical candor which is a way to have compassionate criticism of people. And he told the story of Sheryl Sandberg had a colleague who said, um, a lot in her meetings. And she just went to her and said, Hey, you're saying, um, a lot in your meetings and it makes you look stupid. And I want you to know that I have a speech coach who can help you and we'll pay for it. The woman, I guess, was just like a huff you know, about it. But in the end, the truth was she stopped saying, um, you know, like that bit of advice was really important and there was nothing meant by it. Just have to point things out in a compassionate way and relate it to yourself. I used to do that. Here's how I got through it. I do bring that to my team and my company. We do have a follow-up to meetings with clients that we go through that list. What went right? What went wrong? What are some growth opportunities for you? And what didn't you like, what you like, that kind of a thing. And it's formal. That's a great practice. Yeah. And that story I just told, it's funny because somebody may hear it and be like, it didn't go like that. I hope I got the gist of it right. (laughs) (laughs) Just look it up, radical candor. So June, I want to ask you this question. If you look back, what advice do you wish you had received earlier in your career? Yeah. Professionally, I would say, listen and learn. Like sit down, shut up, just listen and learn and have humility. Because I would go, in some cases, just straight to a decision or a conclusion and bring it to the table without having actually studied the situation and listened. You know, get educated. Like I said, I waited to take that exam for 10 years, and I kept telling people, I'm going to take it. Just do it. Do what you say you're going to do. Say please and thank you. Be on time. Because these were all things that kind of just got lost at first. And I had to learn the value of that as I grew into my career. And again, those mistakes that you make, June, put those in your pocket because they're going to be good for you later instead of just beating yourself up. The very first one you shared kind of reminds me of the Hamilton, you know, talk less, smile more. That's certainly something. It's like early in my career, I felt like I had to prove myself. So I would just blurt something out without really thinking it through or thinking about how it's going to land on other people's ears in the room. I still relate to that, Bill. Like, I like how you said how they hear it tapping on your ear because that's what it is. It's in the moment that they hear it. It can be so powerful. June, thank you for letting us take a look inside you and how you tick. We really appreciate it. And one of the things that we love to, to share with our listeners is a look inside at somebody who's there in the trenches performing project management work, and especially in light of the challenges that we have right now with COVID-19. So thank you for your transparency and your willingness. Thank you for your time today. Really appreciate it. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. And I hope something I said helps somebody out there because it's a wild world. One last thing, where can our listeners get in touch with you if they want to talk to you a little bit more? Oh, I welcome that both ingoing and outgoing. 
I want to hear other people's perspectives on things too. So you can reach out to me via LinkedIn. I'm there and uh, it's just June Mustari. Search me out and I will accept your request. We want to say a really big thank you. So we're going to send you a really nice big mug. I know you listen to our podcast, so you probably heard about the mug. And we would love to send you one just to say thank oh, you so yeah. much. I love okay. it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week on Manage This. Make sure to visit our website, velociteach.com, where you can subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, a comment on our website, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. You have also just earned some professional development units by listening to this podcast. To claim your free PDUs, go to velociteach.com. Choose Manage This Podcast from the top of the page. Click the button that says Claim PDUs and click through the steps. That's all for this episode. Until next time, keep calm and manage this.